up to 10 COVID patients a day, and that number has held steady, according to a hospital spokesperson. Meanwhile, the amount of virus circulating in the city's wastewater continues to rise. According to the Houston Chronicle, as of July 17th, the viral load had increased 105 percent over the previous three weeks. Support this local newscast and this station now by becoming a member at kpft.org. And thanks for tuning in to 90.1 KPFT Houston. Hi, this is Steve Gallington of the People's News, and you're listening to KPFT Houston. Welcome to Growing Up in America here on KPFT Pacifica Radio. It's uh, Claire Dutre along with me, Dr. Bob, from Children at Risk, bringing you your favorite show, Growing Up in America. Uh, This is an hour where we talk about children's policy. Uh, We're dedicated to research, public policy, law, collaborative action on behalf of all of the youth of Texas. And Claire, we have a great show. We do. We do. You excited? I am. I'm excited to hear from our wonderful guest. Very good. So on the show today, Catherine Gallardo, who is uh, up in North Texas, she's going to be talking about her experience in public education. She's been an intern uh, with Children at Risk. Also, Jen Maschik, former school teacher, currently an academic performance coach, talking about back to school. You excited about back to school, by the way? I love it. It's my Christmas time. So exciting. School supplies are one of the most exciting things to see out. Yeah, we love it. And uh, Becky Q is back. What is Becky Q Q talking about? Oh, rebrand again. Uh, Becky Q is doing our, what is it called? We rename it every week. Gen Z slang, but in Espanol. This is in Espanol today, Mm -hmm. right? So I think it's called Gen Z slang slang in Espanol. Mm -hmm. Usually it's hip speak with BQ. Oh, okay. That's the rebrand. So just in in Espanol is the difference. So I don't know how many of our audience speak Spanish, but uh, if they don't, they're going to learn Spanish slang. <laughs> Maybe so. we'll discover that's our yeah, audience yeah, today. Good. But BQ is all over it, right? So we're mm-hmm. excited about that. And Stephen Ives is with us uh, at the end of the hour, presidency of the YMCA in Greater Houston. We'll be talking to him about uh, the summer, the why, and uh, all of this extreme heat, too, because uh, they're having yeah. to deal with a lot of that. We're all having it's to deal with fun. that. It's not fun, no. It's a big old deal. So uh, I want to get us going with a little bit of thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, how we are your thumbs feeling today? You're feeling not uppish? not do data of the day teaser. Oh, what is the date of the day teaser? It is 28%. 28%. What do you think 28% is? I think 28% of students have all their school supplies ready. That's not a high percentage. It's not, but I feel like you uh, always wait to the first week to see what you really need. Yeah, I'm thinking 28% of students... 
maybe uh, are not ready for school. No, that's higher than that, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's always in a weird bracket of numbers. 20% of HISD teachers are uh, not ready to teach. You know, maybe yeah. uh, that could be. Hey, what are you thinking on this HISD? There's so much going on with the Houston there's, School there's District. There's a lot, yeah. You know, here we have our libraries being taken away. Mm-hmm. We have uh, now it's going to be teachers without certification, bringing them into Possibly. the classroom. Uh, I think the state's going to give that approval, but right. I'm not sure it's the right thing to do. Oh, absolutely um, not. And so it's it seems like there's just interesting there's news. Yeah. yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited and hopeful for those still doing the good work and returning with best intentions. Um, the libraries are disheartening, especially the name discipline centers is not creating strong environments. Um, it doesn't sound like areas where children can be turned around. It sounds it's it's interesting, right? Because do you think I think some of it's messaging, right? Because Correct. the idea of the libraries, you know, we're talking about creating a space where you take disruptive kids out of the classroom, and they're still in the school, right? We're not expelling them now, which is a good thing, right. and they're now joining the class via Zoom which I'm not sure that any real learning is going on. Right. But they're not being kicked out of the school. So there's some good yeah. things in there that are being couched in. We're getting rid of the libraries. But also, you don't, you don't <laughs> want to get rid of the libraries. Well, it sounds like a library to me. If you're saying a learning environment that's calm and enriching, that is a library. So why yeah. did we have to rebrand and strip the books from the school yeah. if that's the case? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I feel good. like, Claire, that we're going to be talking about the Houston School District for some time to come. For a while. I'm not excited for this to roll out, but I'm excited to maybe see some pushback um, and hopefully see a system shift in the middle of the year away from these initiatives. And we continue to have our updates, none today, but with the mayoral candidates. And mm-hmm. so I know that we have a couple coming up in the next couple of weeks. And as we talk about education, you know, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee has decided, Congresswoman Jackson Lee has decided that she wants to be the education mayor. Mm-hmm. And what people are beginning to realize when they hear this is how little power a mayor has over public education yeah. in Texas, but also how, and I've talked about this before, uh, how little the Houston mayor has traditionally spent talking about Houston education. And I feel like just just as a candidate, she's talking a lot more than most mayors ever have. So. Yeah, which is exciting. At least it's brought up in conversation. Even if the power is small, maybe more people who weren't in tune are more in yeah. tune with that. Yeah, very good. All right, let's do some thumbs up, thumbs down music. Dime cómo hacemos Si tú me deseas Yo a ti también Hacer a tú te quiero comer ¿Y qué vas a hacer? Así que ponme un all right, so in the next three minutes, I want us to figure out whether this is a good thing or a bad okay. thing. Because in, in sort of in culture, this is made fun of a lot. The idea of participation trophies. Right. Did, did you get, I'm just guessing, Claire, that you got, mostly you got winning trophies, like first yeah. and second place. If it wasn't place. athletics, uh, I was in the top. But when you handed me a softball bat, that was then, when then participation the, came in. Then you yeah. got the participation trophy. What do you think? I mean, a lot has been made about participation trophies, and I feel like the boomer generation Mm -hmm. and the next, you know, the greatest generation, (laughs) they named themselves, obviously, uh, 
are are like all against participation trophies, right? It's yeah. uh, uh, what what do you think is the reality behind a participation trophy? Yeah, it's funny when I think of it in terms of sports, especially child sports. I laugh at it's always the super invested parents who hate it because their kids' t-ball team won and the others don't deserve it. Um, but thinking academically or in other situations, I'm not against it because it's if you put in hard work, like I would get it for um, decathlons or yeah. different. It's a mark of achievement. You didn't win. You weren't the top. But you were there you and played. you did a good job. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can make the argument of they all go in the landfill if you want to get super specific. Well, eventually everything goes. Right, 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 right. right. Um, what do you think about it? Was it common anger when you were raising a kid amongst the parents? Um no, I mean, I always hurt people, but I, I feel like it's the same guy who was yelling, get off my lawn, right? You know, that, I'm is, thinking of the dad who's not the baseball coach, but he's on the fence, like on the brink of getting kicked oh, out. Oh, the participation. <laughs> I, I feel like a lot has been made of it, but right. here's the, you know, I often hear parents will ask me about, you know, whether they should give kids a reality check, you know, like, hey, you're not a really good baseball player, son, you know? <laughs> and And my answer is always the same is that, Kids get enough reality checks over the course of their childhood and teen yeah. years that parents and coaches don't have to be the ones necessarily giving them reality checks. Now, notes on how they could be better, fine. Right. But, uh, you know, I, participation in trophy, I'm all for it, right? Who doesn't yeah. like a good and cheerleader? And they put in the work, regardless. I mean, in sports, the kids that showed up and did all the sports, sure, give them a little pat on the They know they're not first to fifth. Yeah. Um, but it so, makes them feel accomplished. So I'm feeling like we're too big. Thumbs two up. thumbs up. We've been ups. pretty positive on thumbs up, thumbs yeah, down. I know we have. Yeah. So, but if any of you are anti-participation, you can head to our Instagram and thumbs up, thumbs down yourself, as well as tell us why. Oh, that's right. Instagram. Yeah. You just what is, what is it? Uh, just the growing at, up in America Instagram? Is that what we it is? We do not have that yet. It is at Children at Children Risk. Children at Risk yeah. Instagram. Yeah, very you can good. see our picture as well. Thanks for setting me straight. Yeah. I hope I get a participation <laughs> trophy at least. <laughs> Make so, sure you get one at the end so, of the year. You're listening to Growing Up in America. Next up on the show, uh, we're going to be talking to Catherine Gallardo out of our Dallas, uh, out of the Dallas area. And she's going to give us the lowdown, the student lowdown on uh, growing up in America, specifically growing up in Texas. We'll be right back with Catherine Garrido. I always feel like someone's going to burst out singing at some point on that song. It's just, know. you know, you can sounds, always karaoke. I, You're going to interject I, in. We'll I get a could, participation I trophy. I could just make up the lyrics, you know, Catherine Gallardo is coming up. Oh, so, I think she uh, heard that too. She probably enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> Catherine, how are you doing? Good. How are y'all? Very good. Nice little intro song there for you. Catherine, we wanted to ask you about your, first of all, thanks for being on the program. Uh, we're excited to have you. Uh, your own background growing up and going to school, did you have a positive I know you're in college now. You're at you're at UT, is that right, Catherine? Yes, I'm at UT Austin. I'm gonna be a sophomore next year. Well, yeah. So you're sort of young, gish. And I'm wondering what was your experience in the public schools and, and where did you go to where did you do it? Which ISD were you, Catherine? I was fourth ISD. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. For a very long time. Awesome, awesome. And you went to an early college high school, is that correct? 
I did. So for the majority of high school, all of high school, I went to early college high school that specialized particularly in STEM. Um, when I grew up, I wanted to be a doctor, yeah. right? I wanted to be a neonatal pediatrician. So that seemed to line up pretty well with my goals. Um, but of course, when you're 15, you don't really know what that entails. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, my early college high school experience was great. You know, it was one of the best schools in the city, in the district. Um, and so I had a great education. But when I got to college, um, I saw some of the shortfalls and not oh, in the wow. school necessarily, uh, but just overall, I think there were things that we could have focused on a little bit more. Um, but to answer your question, Dr. Bob, yes, my experience was good in the public school system here in Texas. I originally came from California, so uh, I had a different little experience um, up until I believe third grade when I came here. And I know that seems like a really long time and I wouldn't remember, but I vividly remember the transition <laughs> from California to Texas and um, just how much support the teachers had throughout my um, education. And in fact, teachers were the people that got me through it um, because STEM particularly is very difficult yeah. and my school was very challenging. And the people that got me through all of those challenges as well as when it came to choosing colleges And kind of that guidance that I was seeking because in my community, I'm Hispanic and I'm Latina. And although I'm not first generation, I very much had a first generation kind of experience. Mm. Um, Not a lot of our family friends, you know, went to college or if they did, it had been a long time since they had gone. And we didn't even know, my mom didn't know what an Ivy League was. So we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. Um, So having that teacher support to kind of guide me through that college process was so important to my development and how I got to UT Austin in reality. And I owe a lot to those educators that were in the Texas public school system. How was it for you, Catherine, as a Latina at a STEM high school? I mean, was it a pretty diverse high school? I mean, obviously you're coming from a diverse district. Was your high school relatively diverse as well? Yes. Uh, Well, diverse in the sense that the majority of our student body was predominantly Hispanic and African-American. Yeah. Um, And so I grew up with, you know, that community in mind. And I've always grown up around Latinos and African-Americans and also low income. And so our school was very much, I think the terminology is title one. I'm not too sure though. That's right. Um, But you, you know, I was class president for four years. And when we came to talks about finances, like fundraising and prom, we had to always finance around the needs of our, of our student body and a lot of the times that meant we had to pull up a lot of weight with fundraising, you know. And so the landscape was very different to what I now see at UT Austin. It was a culture shock um, coming from a predominantly Hispanic and African-American community to now everyone. You know, we had Asian populations as well as a lot of white yeah. populations. And so I wasn't used to seeing so little Latinos and black Americans in my classes. And it was such a culture shock because those were the people that I grew up with. Those were the people that I could identify with. And it was a, it was a transition period. Definitely. It wasn't a negative experience at all. It was just that I hadn't realized that cultures are very, very, very different. I feel like we have very similar values in, in those communities and coming to a new school that where kids had more money than I did or, you know, like it was just a very different playing field. And it made me realize a lot about my education experience and how that shaped my identity. You know, I, 
I believe education really just shapes who you are. And I'm sure that's true for everyone. And it's definitely shaped myself. Um, but it's just completely changed. And, you know, there's also a big difference between those students that have gone to um, a private school compared to me who has gone to a public school. And that's when I started to get a little bit more into the idea of how education shapes you because the opportunities that they had weren't necessarily the ones that I did. Yeah. Although I'm very proud of what I've accomplished, you know, there was a, a difference between us. And so um, that was a bit of a culture shock coming in as a Latina woman, one of the few in my program, um, yeah. which is the Canfield Business Honors at UT, which is known to be really competitive. And then coming from a STEM background, so I am doing business, which is so weird when I did STEM my entire high school years. Um, but it was just it was just a big transition period yeah. culturally, um, economically, um, just in every sense, in every space. Yeah, Claire. Catherine, you mentioned some shortfalls from your high school. What are those? Um, can you point out some of those? And then also thinking of your peers that might have been at more traditional public schools, where were those gaps that they might have had even further shortfalls into entering career college? Mm-hmm. So what I will say is t- my my school was not bad at all. It was, like I said, one of the best in the mm. district. And when I say shortfalls, I mean areas of improvement. There weren't necessarily like things that they failed me on. It was things that I can see students benefiting from in the future. Um, so with STEM, and research shows that when you get kids involved in particular career tracks, they're more likely to succeed in college because not only are they more focused in on, you know, achieving that end goal of becoming a doctor or going into IT, if that's like an early college, high school concentration. Um, so definitely there was a lot of support for early college high schools in my district, and they are very much really good for the students here in my city. Hmm. However, when you're so track-minded at a very, very young age, you lose sight of exploration. Um, and I think coming to college, that was one of the things that I lacked the most. I was so scared to try new things because I had always had one goal in mind. And it was very much shaped my, by my education um, from where I was coming from. And so the shortfall was really, honestly, we did not have a lot of avenues to express creativity outside oh, wow. of STEM. We didn't have, like, an art class. Well, we had, like, art history, but it wasn't, like, you could take that as an elective because you had so many other science-based electives to take. So it was very academia-based rather than, you know, you can explore band because we didn't have a band. We didn't have an orchestra. We didn't have a lot of clubs that, like, we didn't have sports either. And so when it came time to, you know, start thinking seriously about college admissions, I know my parents and I, we kind of got bits and pieces from everyone. We weren't really sure what colleges were looking for. We just knew that they wanted a well-rounded student. And my school just didn't provide me with extracurriculars or avenues for me to really develop a passion because, yes, I said I wanted to be a doctor, but for the majority of my life, it was more because I wanted people to kind of oogle at me more than it was like I'm passionate about this field. Although I love working with kids and children, and it's definitely led me to come to this opportunity at Children at Risk because I want to help the youth yeah. in the future. I, I think it's very interesting, Catherine, that, that you mentioned this whole idea about extracurriculars, right? Because we live in an environment mm-hmm. in Texas where, if anything, 
extracurriculars and creative outlets are being taken away to focus on academics. And here you are going to a very fine academic school, diverse, sort of reflection of the Texas student body as a whole. And you're saying, you know, we need more creativity. And I think it's, I think you're right, right? I think we're, if we're in search of the well-rounded student, we can't cut half of it off and expect it to say this is well-rounded. It's really just half a circle, right? And so uh, I think that's that's right on. Catherine, I know we're running out of time, but I want very quick answer from you. Mm-hmm. If, you if you're a queen for a day and you could change something about public education, what's the one thing you would do briefly? I think I would add more teachers of color. The research shows that when we have large populations of children of color, they actually perform better when they have someone that looks like them in the classroom. And we're giving opportunities to everyone with that. At UT, do you find that you're lacking in the number of professors of color or or are you pretty satisfied? Um, There aren't many Latinos, especially in business. And so there is that kind of bond that I don't get. Um, but there are other teachers of color and I appreciate, you know, those office hours that they're always so welcoming. And that's one of the best things about UT that I'm always have an open door and they're always willing to help me out. And so it doesn't matter whether they're not of color. They've always been my supporters and they're always in my corner. Catherine Gallardo is one of the interns, one of the great interns from Children at Risk. She's up in the North Texas office and is a student at UT Austin. Catherine, thank you so much for your insight, and thank you for being on the program and being an intern at Children at Risk this summer. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. All righty. Take care. You're listening to Growing Up in America. Next up, we're going to check in with a teacher, Jed Maschek, former teacher, currently performance coach, uh, talking about back to school. Be back in just a second. It's coming back around And I keep my side of the street clean You wouldn't know what I mean We are back with our very own Jen Maschak. Jen, are you with us? I am. I'm with you, Claire. Perfect. We are excited to talk about how we can support teachers, welcome our children back to school. As I said earlier, this is my Christmas time. I know all the classrooms are going up, (laughs) and I'm sure the environments are looking great and crisp. But how can we, as school supporters, I was about to say principals, I'm not a principal, but how can principals support teachers and staff as they return um, by not just honoring their time, which I will advocate for right now, but also (laughs) as they are prepared to welcome students in the new school year? Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, you you led with time and it, it does take a long time to prepare a classroom to, you know, receive students and give them an inviting environment. Uh, and so as a principal, like preserving their time, uh, holding some time sacred for them to get organized and put everything in place and make their environments beautiful would definitely be number one. Um, I think after after giving them that time and having them set things up, I think it's really important for principals to uh, support their teachers eh? by having clear communication with them, um, providing the support that they need for new teachers, especially, um, you know, a mentor, uh, a team, somebody that they can bounce ideas off of when they start planning their lessons and uh, curriculum. Uh, they could definitely 
uh, help, you know, help foster parent-teacher relationships. Uh, most principals sponsor, like, an orientation and have, you know, a lot of time for, you know, teachers to get to know families, which is, you know, so important. Um, and then also, you know, being really, really supportive and prioritizing teachers' well-being and mental health. Teachers have uh, such a demanding job, you know, parents and lesson planning and, curriculum, implementation, all of those things, uh, they can wear on you. Uh, and very quickly, if <laughs> it would be really easy to get overwhelmed. So uh, definitely listening to your teachers and prioritizing, you know, their well-being is going to be really powerful. Jen, I know that around this time of year, back to school, and I think ALEAF ISD started uh, this week, and we have a bunch of schools uh, district starting the next couple of weeks, we put a lot of attention on parents and kids and the anxiety there of back to school. What is for a teacher? Um, there's an equal amount of anxiety, right? This whole idea of wow, mm-hmm. the school year is about to begin. I want my kids to learn. Talk about that anxiety for a teacher and what are they worried about right now? Um, I think. I mean, for me, personally, like, the thing that I was the most worried about was, you know, am I ready to receive my students, you know, on the first day? You know, there are routines and things that are going to to come up. And, like, so, especially if you're new to a school, it would be learning the systems and the routines of the school. Yeah. Right? So to make sure that everybody in the school is safe, number one. Yep. Um, because of, you know, all the press and things that are happening uh, that might put, you know, our students in danger. So I think the safety of our students and, you know, ensuring that when they're with us that we can uh, provide them that environment so they feel like they're safe um, to learn, I think that's number one. Um, after after safety is going to be the organization and, you know, am I delivering quality lessons? Yeah. And is so, this a, a nervous time of year for teachers, or are they more excited uh, than anything at the beginning of the school year? I think it's a, a nervous excitement. Yeah. I always, every fall, I, I want to, like, buy a new backpack and sharpen pencils. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I feel like all teachers are kind of going through that right now. Um, you know, the smell of fall and the coming back, you know, into the environment. They're probably the most excited about meeting new students. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, is, and then oh, go ahead. No, well, and then most nervous about being overwhelmed, right? Yeah. Because it is it is a very overwhelming process um, as we start the school year because there are so many questions and so many things to learn. New parents are coming in, and how do we support new parents and get out information? And it's it is a lot of questions. I'm sure that some of the teachers that I'm working with currently, you know, they came back on Monday. And as soon as you hit the door, it's fast and furious uh, yeah. because of the meetings and professional development and all of the things that you have to do before the kids return. Funny you should say that. This is kind of a spinoff of my normal classroom question. But if you could give every teacher in Texas one professional development this session, what would you give them? Uh, I think I think... The, the one thing, like the most important thing for me is going to be on building relationships mm-hmm. with students, um, like clearly communicating with the students your, your expectations of them and then asking them what they expect of you, uh, especially in the higher grades, uh, so that you start to build a, a mutual respect. 
in the lower school would be about um, how we speak to each other and how we communicate clearly, like within cooperative groups and how we support one another and make our learning environment safe. So that would be my, if I could give PD tomorrow, (laughs) we could definitely do six hours on how do we build relationships relationships and make environments safe uh, so that we can make mistakes and learn together. For teachers and parents, Jen, I wonder, uh, are there lessons and sort of takeaways that you would give to parents as they begin the school year in terms of how they interact with teachers, what they tell their kids to do with teachers? What, what, What advice would you have for parents? Um, I think, like, first and foremost, I would make sure that uh, parents know that, like, establishing a routine at the very beginning of the year is crucial. And so the consistency uh, builds their confidence. So that would reduce some of the anxiety. Um, So establishing school routines. So we go to bed at this time. We get up at this time. We eat a balanced breakfast or we eat breakfast at the school, like, these are things that we do, and, you know, often, like, sleep schedules get so messed up in the summer. So if you have a, if you have a child going back to school next week, I would highly recommend them, you know, trying to implement some kind of a bedtime <laughs> that, yeah. uh, so that they can get enough rest um, so that they can be successful. You, you can't um, underestimate, their- right, routine and kids. Kids really need routine and they really respond well to it. I mean, yeah. you hear about the kids fighting bedtimes and so forth, but kids, you know, when we talk about national natural disasters, usually the thing that suffers is routine and it's the kid, it's the thing that throws off childhood the most is when they don't have that access to routine. So as a parent, mm-hmm. implementing that is so so very very important. You have a big hard-hitting last question for Jen Claire. Oh, I did not know I was going to be hit with this. Um, I guess, what are you most hopeful and excited about this school year? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, well, some of the schools that I'm working with are, you know, trying to implement uh, some new curriculum. And so, you know, some new structures and routines. Uh, I'm always really excited to uh, to work with especially new teachers. They're mm-hmm. so hungry to to learn and be excited for watching, like introducing new strategies to have kids, you know, and, you know, they, they put the routines and they put the schedules and stuff in place and then they start to see light bulbs go off, you know, the second or third week of school, which is always exciting as a coach uh, when a teacher is successful with their students. So I'm always excited uh, in the school year for teachers to try on new things and for kids to start having those light bulb moments. Wow. Jen Maschek is a academic performance coach working with schools all over the greater Houston area, and she's a former teacher herself. She's a master teacher is what she is. Jen Maschek is with the Texas A-plus Challenge, which is a part of Children at Risk. Jen, thank you very much, and good luck with your new classes. All right. Thank you guys so much. I'll I'll talk to you soon. All righty. Take care. You're listening to Growing Up in America on KPFT Pacifica Radio. Next up, the data of the day. All right, 
Date of the day, Layla Mazzali is on the line with us. She's the director of the Center for Social Measurement and Evaluation at Children at Risk. And the number of the day today, Claire, 28%. Two-eight. Do you have a guess? 28%? It's five away from my lucky number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my guess is around students. Uh, it was that 28% of students have all their school supplies. Don't know how we'd have that number, but I feel like Layla would pull it for us. Layla, what is 28%? Give us the... Give us the lowdown. Hey, Layla, how are you doing, by the way? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, although our data of the day today, I mean, in true form, is is pretty bleak and pretty timely. Always. Um, it always is, isn't it? So that's I try to read And you know, you, you're the one who comes up with this, Layla. What is that saying about you? I'm just wondering. I mean, about Texas. Right? I feel like maybe maybe next week I'm going to try to give a, a an exciting data of the day. Good news data. <laughs> Some good news. What are we first in up? Texas? Yeah. 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 Spending on defense. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, this is not that week. Um, and it seems like good news doesn't really make headlines these days. Um, 28%. Uh, 28% is the percentage of Texas households who were unable to pay their energy bill at least once in 2022. Holy cow. Um, that's, that's a big deal. Rate in the yeah. Country. yeah. And what was the number in the country? It's the highest rate in the country. Is that what you said, Layla? Yes. The national average is 20%. And we're at 28%. So what does that mean when it's the middle of the summer and it's uh, 100 degrees outside? 110 yesterday. 110 yesterday. And you're not able to uh, uh, pay your heat or or you're not able to set your thermostat where you're comfortable. Yeah, I mean, it means danger for a lot of folks. I mean, uh, 98% or so of Texans do have air conditioning in their homes. But if you can't turn that air conditioning on, it's really of no use to you. Um, You know, Texas also leads the nation in people who kept their homes at an unsafe temperature because of energy costs. And it's not getting any cooler. It's going to keep getting hotter. Right. Well, it's scary, too, just to think, I mean, my energy bill is through the roof, but there's Mm. um, not many energy companies to choose, and we're not investing in any other types of energy. So just seeing this as a problem that might just continue to grow as the temperatures rise. Yeah, it's it definitely looks it's it's scary. It's a scary future to look at. I mean, especially, you know, when we have folks in in the nation right now who are falling on the sidewalk and getting burns on their skin um with how warm it's getting i mean air conditioning is is maybe the least of our troubles but at the very least it's going to keep people safe during some of the highest temperatures that we've seen uh layla i know that in some communities around the country the whole idea of cooling zones you know uh we're going to uh provide libraries or other areas where people can go and cool off. Um, Mm -hmm. That is, you know, it sounds good and it's good for a few people, but if you can't even stay in your home, which has air conditioning and turn it to a cool enough temperature, or you can't afford to pay for uh, your home to be cooled, it's sort of uh, problematic for you health wise. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Heat stroke is a real thing, dehydration, and especially for, you know, older and younger people. So children and older adults are going to be the ones most at risk. Yeah. And what what are we thinking over the next 30 years? This is the big deal? Over the... <laughs> 
just <laughs> add it to the list. Over the next 30 years, it's going to keep becoming a bigger deal. Yeah, I mean, I I won't get into, you know, climate catastrophe narratives, but um, I, I'm, I'm nervous. And it's the least we can do to ensure that Texans can air condition their homes. Yeah, yeah, very good. Layla Mazzali is the director of the Center for Social Measurement and Evaluation at Children's Risk. Thank you, Layla, very much for your data, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, you All right, take care. You're listening to Growing Up in America on KPFT. Next up, BQ is in the house. We'll be right back. Here come old flat top, here come grooving up slowly. Come together. BQ is with us, and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, some hip speak, but in español. And uh, BQ, lo podemos hacer esto en español si quieres. ¿Cómo se estás escuchando a KPFT, el Radio Pacifica? And uh, yeah, I'm going to stop now before I make <laughs> before you make fun of me. You uh, know what, Doctor Bob? Though um, I, my mom saw you on Univision this week and yeah. she was like his spanish is pretty good i understood everything you said so <laughs> your mom you know when it comes to moms they're always very very kind to me so <laughs> so uh so we have a couple of good words in spanish so and yes. claire and i are going to try to guess what these mean and so give uh-huh. us a little bit of an eye what's the first one so i gave you a little hint earlier today yeah. um so the first one is bpd's nice bpd's nice so, it's, I know, and, and that's una palabra, one word. Una palabra. BPD's nice. I'm going to say it has something to do with uh, something's pretty copacetic. Something's pretty great. Um, I'll, I'll give it in a sentence. How about that? Okay, there you um, go. My new iPhone is BPD's nice. Better than yours. Oh. Is that what it means? You're on the right track. So <gasps> I'm so good. Yeah. Um, so what it means is like it's pretty like a higher level, like in, it's usually used in like socioeconomic standards. So, yeah. um, so I'm on the mark. So it's like bougie. It's almost a yeah. little more bougie. BPD's exactly. nice is a little bougier. BPD's or like nice. a whole foods is considered BPD's nice compared yeah. to Walmart, you know? Um, Oh, that's easy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 So targets maybe a little BPD's nice over Walmart and then yeah. whole foods is a whole new level. Yep. Uh, right. okay. Yeah. So that one was fun. BPD's nice. Can, can we use it in English? I mean, Spanglish is, it's very, very acceptable. Yeah, thank yeah. you for very acceptable. Yeah. Give me a is nice. Okay. Um, this one's similar in like wording, but yeah. not similar in the definition. So this one is firulais. Firulais. I feel like you could get this one, Doctor Bob. <laughs> Can I have it in a sentence for Claire? <laughs> yes, yeah. for Claire, uh, there is a firulais in the building. In this building. You... Uh, oh, you're saying there's one in this building? Yep. A firulais. Um. And Maybe he might be looking at you. Be you. An old man. Oh. <laughs> cameras. Shots, shots fired. Um, no, uh, it usually means to like describe a dog, like a fetalize. Or that was my Fido, like Fido, Fido, fetalize. Yes. It was Fido dog. Yeah. Well, no, no, Perro is dog, but Fido is the name of often used English name for dogs. Fido. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the next one is 
um, an actual word in Spanish, but it's used to describe multiple things. Um, and the word is pedo. Pedo? Yeah. Like P-E-D-O? Yes. Pedo. Kids. Can you use it in a sentence? Uh, th- I'll use it in one form because there's multiple forms. Uh, me eche un pedo, which is embarrassing. <laughs> in so, Spanglish? Okay. Um, okay pedo, I'll, pedo. I'll give you the exact definition. Okay, go ahead. Uh, the exact definition is I've like fart. It's a fart. Yeah, that, I don't know if that's allowed on the air. I'm just well, I think you know what KPFD has heard worse. I'm sure I've than fart in Spanish. You know, this week I've seen multiple people say that farts are super funny, but I, I'm not yeah. into that humor. But maybe we'll get more more okay. listeners in. Okay. Um, but uh, pedo could also this is mean, a classy show. Um, yeah. A problem. So una problem una problema. Un, yeah. Pedo. So like no hay pedo means no problem. Okay. So yeah. Um, All right. And you have one last one for us, BQ? Yes. And then I also have something like an assignment for you, Dr. Bob. Okay. I'm looking um, forward to that. The last one is Mimi's. Mimi's. That is someone's slang in Spanish. Mimi's. Mimi's. Uh, it's like that. Mimi's quite. is a meme, right? I think that's what no, you're saying. No. No. Uh, so I'll say um, it's nighttime. I'm going Mimi's. Oh. To bed. Oh, to yeah. bed to sleep. Like, to like sleep. sleeping. Like yeah. little That's it's like Mimi's is sort of like little time. snoring. I'm going snoring. Mimi's. Yeah, and I will say I didn't know this. Um and then I almost got my Latine card revoked because I didn't know this. You didn't know Mimi's? No. Um wow. so I Are you really Latine? That's what they told me and I was like, What? Um <laughs> Mimi's. Now I, I know it. Do you, do you, I wanna ask you this, BQ. Do you, do you say you're Latine more than you say you're Latina? Yes. It depends on who I'm talking to because my parents don't... They don't get it. They don't get it yet. Um, but they're on their way to get it. Um, yeah, you think so? Yeah. Um, I do... I've been hearing it a lot more on my TikTok, too, so... Yeah. TikTok's sort of ahead of the curve, though, isn't it? It is. I mean, if you go out into the Latino community, what percentage of people say Latine? It's a small percentage, right? I mean, yes. it's a growing percentage, but small. I think um, the more younger generation is yeah. Latinx... Um, but I feel now there's a newer version that's slightly more inclusive to Spanish speakers. See, that's yeah. a little bit of uh, hip speak right there, just learning the Latine, right? Yes. So I think that's very good, BQ. All so, right. And then real quick, the oh. assignment I have for you. Okay. I feel Claire might know this. Um, girl dinner. So, Dr. Oh. Bob, this is a new phenomenon. I've seen it on the it's news in included. Mm-hmm. Um, so my assignment is to ask your daughter, Ginny, what her girl dinner is. Oh, she has girl. Oh, I see. Do you yeah, know what that yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're yeah, ahead yeah. of the curve. So girl dinner oh. is like when you're home alone and you're just, just going to have your own little dinner, right? It's yes. Just own, Essentially. Like, like girls a light. just pick like a little, a little snack. Like yeah. a light Not dinner. Really, yeah. A little light dinner. Yeah. Yes. Mine's olives. No. Yeah. My daughter has a little girl dinner a lot, right? So, uh, yeah. All right. I All feel right. like I have. Um, no, I don't have. No, probably in Spain they have girl dinners. They just pick and a lot of table things. Well, early on, right until you get to something heavy later on in the evening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so that's, yeah, it's just that's an appetizer. That's what we're talking about. So uh, very good. Hey, BQ, our in-house yeah. Latine, and uh, actually we have so many Latines on our team. But uh, thank you very, very much. We got Rico there. We got Becca. So uh, anyway, yeah. thank you very much, guys. Thank you so much. All right. You're listening to Growing Up in America. Coming up, we're going to talk about what's going on at the Y uh, with all this heat and how kids are impacted. We have Y CEO Stephen Ives coming up right after the break. 
and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas, the prairie sky is wide and high. Deep in the heart of Texas. You're listening to Growing Up in America, KPFT, here with Claire and Dr. Bob, and on the line with us, the one, the only, Stephen Ives. He's the CEO of YMCA, the Greater Houston area. Steve, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, you know, it's been a super hot summer, and you guys sort of specialize in so many things, but one of those is sort of that uh, summer camp that you have at All the Wise going on. How has this... How has this summer and this heat impacted you guys, Steve? Well, you know, I, I was worried about it at first. And each time I keep checking in, um, the kids are going home exactly how the parents want them, exhausted. <laughs> and yeah. and um, we've got the pools to keep to get them in the water and cool off. And we do have air-conditioned facilities at our, at our day camps that uh, we can go into. We're moving in and out of the building more, yeah. perhaps, than we yeah. would be if it weren't so hot. Um, but I think it's been great for parents to be able to get kids out of the house too. And and obviously the moving in in and out of the building is one of the things that you do. But uh, the the pool, I, I mean, just having a pool there makes a big difference for these kids, doesn't it? Oh, of course. Well, not only do they get to cool off, but they also learn to swim. They yeah. learn how to be safe around water, and that's what happens in this kind of heat. People just flock to the water. And so many people flock into the water, they're going to get a high percentage of people who don't know how to swim or don't know how to be yeah. safe around water. So we're instructing parents and kids on how to do that. There are so many kids, Steve, across this country uh, who grew up in neighborhoods where, you know, the next door neighbor doesn't have a pool. And so they've never been to a pool. And when we look at the statistics, a lot of kids in the summer die within drowning accidents, right? And so how important is it that a parent be send their kids to the Y and learn for those kids to learn how to swim? It's got to be, uh, not only does it keep them cool, but, but it's making a difference for them. Right, and, they, and to take their kids with to go with them mm-hmm. to our pools, we teach them about testing for capability, use of life jackets, and parents learn all of that. But I would say here's a, here's a bigger thing, and that's uh, too many kids don't have adult role models mm-hmm. who both know how to swim and or know how to uh, help them learn to swim. And so I've been really encouraging sports athletes, adults, um, learn the safety around water. You know, get in the, I, I've, I've had staff I've gotten in the pool for – two sessions of 45 minutes each and they've gone from I'm scared to I can get to the side. Okay. If I were to fall in the water, um, I know how to be safe and then they start swimming and learning more. But a lot of times we think you got to be swimming butterfly and backstroke and Mm. breaststroke and all this Olympic kind of stuff. It really isn't about that. We've, we've tried to make it much simpler and make it about knowing how to push off the bottom turn and grab the side, how to, get your body weight up um, to a parallel to the to the bottom of the mm-hmm. pool. You take two or three strokes and get to the side. So that doesn't have to be uh, six months' worth of lessons. It could be just a week of summer camp or uh, uh, some uh, five sessions in our Safer on Water program. Yeah. Stephen, outside of the pool, thinking of we heard a lot in this school year and even just in general post-COVID, it's really hard right now to engage children. They're very, um, I hate to sound like a boomer, but glued to their phone. And uh, with that, just gaining a lot of apathy. What have you seen with children this summer and what is making you hopeful or making you worried as the new generation go into the school year? 
Um, well, I, I think what, when I when I think of the late teens, early twenties group, um, that's a group I'm very concerned about because mm-hmm. they've missed something in their development around social interaction, and so we're thinking long and hard about how how we influence that with our programming and also with our staff, young staff coming in. When it comes to the much younger kids, I mean, we we give them something fun and interesting to do and, and at least demonstrate to them that they can have just as much enjoyment from interacting with other kids and with with caring adults in the community as they do from being on that screen. And we're educating parents, too, about screen time mm-hmm. uh, is, is another important piece. Yeah. And even thinking of the new school year, how would you encourage parents to use programs like after school programs at the Y or um, maybe Boys and Girls Club to help engage their children and get them off kind of TikTok? Well, I guess first, to try to get them off of it is an unrealistic goal. But to um, have some have some ground rules around it in terms of total amount of time in a day and also require. I remember my mother used to require me to I could watch cartoons on Saturday, but it was only, you know, after so much time, I had to go out and play. And we don't just send kids out to just go play in the neighborhood anymore, but there are options like the Boys and Girls Club in the Y and other youth programs and rec, rec programs through the city that um, can fill in in that same way with responsible caring adults in charge. Well, even like you were mentioning the term of mentorship in general, just having that, I think, will help reengage them, especially in that population you were speaking of right now. It's it's very lonely for that group of students. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, belonging and connectedness are at the core of our mission and our purpose and our focus. Um, we're going to be measuring how much we're influencing that throughout the community. Uh, the YMCA is fully committed to strengthening those bonds that tie us together. And it plays out in these ways you've just described as well as many others. Uh, and it's a, it's an area I think that could have significant influence and impact on how community is in the future. Stephen, one of the things that, uh, you know, from knowing you is that you're really caring about the welfare of all kids and families all across the city. Uh, there are areas in our city that don't have access to a Y or a Boys and Girls Club or close to a swimming pool. What are the important things for parents to do with their kids in this heat and during the summer? I mean, what do you advise them when, when someone says, hey, is there a Y near me? And there isn't. What's what's the next best thing? Um. Well, obviously, the next best thing is some other program near them. So yeah. an example, would be we have 39 other locations that don't have pools, don't have big rec centers. We just have staff yeah. who are there. So um, we're, we intend to expand that to try to fill more and more of those gaps. But if a parent has none of those things nearby, you know, there are public spaces. You know, our city has lots more green space and outdoor space than people realize mm. until they start exploring it. There's a local park. There's often a splash pad or a fountain. Um, and, you know, I've, I spend time up at the Buffalo Bio Greenway, and we're seeing red-shouldered hawks. We're seeing, you know, unbelievable nature um, that is right here in the city. So I think the city has a lot more to offer than people might realize, and they just have to do a little hunting around those public spaces. And, and I think this is great to hear from you, right? Because I know you moved here, right, a uh, number of years ago from, from Columbus, Ohio. And what have you found? I mean, what is it? For, what are you excited about when you come to Houston, Stephen, especially when you're thinking about what's going on with kids and families? Well, I just alluded to it. I was pleasantly surprised with how much fabulous green space there is here. 
Um, it might not be right next to everybody, mm-hmm. but it's not too far away. Like the Memorial Park and what the city has done and the donors and community leaders have done to build those land bridges. I mentioned Buffalo Bayou. There's lots of trails. So I, I just had no idea that I yeah. would find that, that I could go for a three-mile walk with my dog early in the morning and be in nature from my ho- home in the city. Uh, I think also a thing that I'm really excited and inspired about in being in Houston is it's a big, big city, but yeah. you know, big. very welcoming and open. And, you know, I've heard people talk about the arts and some of the other organizations. You don't have to have the right last name in order to be on the board. You just have to care. Yeah. And it's grown up, you know, so that there's much more, I guess, accessibility and inclusion for outsiders to be part of big things. And that's, that's really exciting for me as a somewhat a newcomer. Five years now, Bob. Oh, so, wow. You've been here five I years. I'm, I'm from he here can now. claim it as his own now. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's, you know, that's a long time in Houston anyway. So yeah. it's a bit. Yeah. Houston years, that's about 20. <laughs> so uh, ready to ask a couple of uh, our fun five questions, uh, Claire? I am. Yeah, we yeah. have brand new ones this week. Oh, so wow, excited. wow. I always like, I, I want to start, though, with one of the tried and true. Steve, growing up, where did, where did you grow up, by the way? This is not one of the questions I'm just asking. Um, as you know, I'm still working on the growing up thing, but I did most of it in I did most of it in Maine. Okay, so growing up in Maine, what well, what did you want to be when you grew up, Steve? You know, I I just wanted to be in the helping profession. I knew that was my calling, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure if I was going to be a fireman, a, a police officer, a minister, or something else. And um, but I knew I was going to be in the helping profession. That was always clear. Very good. Everyone on our show always has such strong answers know, to that question. I know. What did you want to be when you were growing up, Claire? <laughs> a teacher. Yeah, yeah, wow. I so wanted to be a pirate, been... Stephen. That's <laughs> so, what I wanted to be. You. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So. Having so made sorry. it there yet. <laughs> it's on the journey. <laughs> what did you say, Steve? I'm sorry I missed that. I, I said there's still time. Here still time, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The second question is, what was your favorite toy or game growing up? Uh, my favorite game was uh, croquet as a family oh, game. Oh, wow. That's a fun game growing nice. up yeah, to yeah. play. And uh, what was your favorite food as a kid? Peanut butter. Still is. <laughs> do you have going a, so much. Do you have a favorite restaurant in Houston, Steve? Uh, I, you know, that's a dangerous question to make me ask. Answer. You know, <laughs> it, and I haven't found one I don't love. I and it's to, restaurant like, week. Practice, I have to keep practicing those um, – uh, I have to keep practicing those uh, the, the, my exercise routine because yeah. it's hard to find a bad meal. <laughs> yeah. I, That's right. Well, here's what I can answer you. Yeah. Like, if my favorite cocktail bar is Anvil, because yeah. every time I got friends who come here down on Westheimer, um, we we go there. Yeah. And probably, uh, I'm starting to really love Cielo, Cielto on on uh, Dunleavy. Um, we were we were there just this weekend. Oh, Cielito, yeah, Cielito, yeah, Cielito. yeah, Thank yeah, yeah. Uh, there's too long of a line out there, right? So it's always we got lucky the other day. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice place. Seems like we can get in. Uh, you know, I go to Anvil a lot. Uh, you know, it's a dangerous thing when you go to a bar and they know your name already. You know, it's just, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a show, though. I mean, it's it's a production. It's it is these guys. What they pull off is amazing. Yeah, awesome. very good. The next question, I love this one. If you could swap lives with any fictional character from a book, movie, or cartoon, who would it be? Oh, wow. It's a fictional character. 
fictional character. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, I had, you know, I had my my hero jumped to mind. I think Tom Sawyer. Oh, nice. Very good. Very good. Uh, Stephen, on one last note on, on the why, um, when you think about uh, your hope for the why uh, as it, it meanders into its future and kids and families in Houston, what's your, what's your hope and what's your wish? Well, my hope and wish is that we'll find a day where 10, 10% or more of the greater Houston population considers themselves members part of and belonging to this thing we call the YMCA. Mm -hmm. And that as a result of that, uh, more people in our community have this sense of connection with each other. And the ultimate downstream result being less violence, uh, more love and compassion showing up. The stuff that shows up when we have a crisis, let's just just make that happen. (laughs) You know, the, the way our community rallies, um, and let's let's overpower the negative forces that are out there. Let's always be Houston strong or Texas strong yeah. or El Paso strong. Let's make that happen all the time. Yeah, that's very good. Stephen Ives is the CEO of the YMCA in the Great Houston area. Stephen, thank you very, very much. Steve, I'm going to look forward to seeing you at Anvil sometime <laughs> real soon, okay? I'll text you next time I'm headed there, Bob. Take care. <laughs> all right. Bye, Stephen. Hey, thank you very much. You're listening. You've been listening to Growing Up in America. Uh, and uh, we follow Border Radio every Wednesday, Susan Darrow and the uh, so great good. show, Border Radio, and, and then followed by R&R. We're always excited to hear what's going on with R&R. And uh, we do this each and every week, Claire, for, for children. children. See you next time. With a dream, my cardigan. Welcome to the land of fame, access. Am I gonna fit in? Jumped in the cab, here I am for the first time. Look to my right, and I see the Hollywood sign. This is all so crazy. Everybody seems so famous. My tummy's turning, and I'm feeling kinda homesick. Too much pressure, and I'm nervous. Cause when the taxi man turned on the This is KPFT Houston, 90.1 FM. Hey, so what's a great way to spread awareness that driving high is illegal everywhere? A catchy song, of course. You can run, but you can't drive high. You can run, but you can't drive high. Friendly reminder. Don't drive high. If you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why Save by the Scan Doctor wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save. 
Hi there, I'm Louis Borjad, singer-songwriter here in Houston, Texas. You're listening to KPFT Houston.